over the last few weeks, even with the Asbury outpouring over the last few weeks, I've just been impressed upon my heart that I'm so grateful to be a part of a body that's tight-knit, that has each other's back, to be a part of a body that's furiously pursuing the heart of God and what he wants to do. You know, when I came to Dwelling Place 15 years ago, we had two services. The house was always packed. There was a huge internship, and there was a lot of things going, and the Lord has really pruned that back. And I've been asking the Lord, why has he pruned that back? And we're going to go into pruning in a little bit. But I've been asking the Lord, why is there pruning? And my, my nostalgia would want to go back to the way things were, big and loud and boisterous and and, and what I thought was like grandiose and that we'd only get bigger and bigger from there. But really the Lord's done some pruning in this body and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So I like to work out, not for like the whole weight loss factor, but I like to work out because it gets my endorphins going and it keeps me mentally sane as a mom of three. So I, I enjoy working out because endorphins are my medication to get through the day. And I recently started going to a new gym, just trying it out to see what it was all about. And it's called Orange Theory. It's funny that it kind of goes along with our theme. But it's called Orange Theory. And the whole goal of Orange Theory, it's an hour-long workout. The whole goal of Orange Theory is to get your heart rate up to the fat-burning zone for a long period of time. So when you go to an Orange Theory class, you're working towards what's called splat points. Okay, and they say that if you get your heart rate up long enough, you want your goal is to get 12 splat points in a one hour long class. If you get 12 splat points in a one hour long class, you hit what's called the afterburn. So everyone's working towards the afterburn, right? You're gonna work really hard until you get those splat points. Now, I'm realizing like I'm almost 40 for me to get 12 splat points is really easy. I'm usually getting like 45 splat points because my heart rate is like, woo. So anyways, <laughs> it's, it's a hard workout. Anyways, when you get the 12 splat points, you hit the afterburn zone. And for the next 36 hours, you're burning calories at a high rate, okay? So you're working towards the afterburn so that for the next 36 hours, you're continually burning calories, a lot of calories. And that's what they want. So as I started going to these classes, I'm like, why, why isn't the body of Christ like this, pursuing the Lord like this? Like pursuing him relentlessly until we hit that afterburn zone and we're burning on fire for the Lord, 36 hours, 48 hours, whatever it is, after we leave this building. Why does just the two hours we come and spend before the Lord enough? Why, why can't we pursue those spiritual splat points in a way that we get those splat points here, but then we go out and share it with the world, and our afterburn is what illuminates the darkness? So I just want to put that before you, because I'm in a place in my life where I want to relentlessly pursue my spiritual splat points. I want to get to that spiritual afterburn where I can't contain it. And even when church is over, even when worship fills us up, that we go out and that afterburn, that afterglow continues. So I'm just going to put that before you because we're going into a season of identity. Mitch has started us off on an on identity. Last week we're talking about identity in the I am. Who is he? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am provider, I am redeemer, I am restorer. And for me, identity is something that the church cannot get wrong. We have got to get identity right. In the world, there is so much compromise when it comes to identity. And it's disturbing, honestly. Right now, identity is being challenged in the most obscene and perverse ways that I've ever seen. And it's not going to loosen up. And so I have thoughts of my children and my children's children. What kind of, what kind of um, identity crises are they going to be faced with down the road? That the church cannot get this wrong. We have to get identity in Christ right. 
And it starts with us, and it starts with our connection with being in the Lord and knowing him, being connected to him, and being able to have evidence that he is our identity. Our identity is in him. So for me, like, I, I'm a words of affirmation girl, okay? I love some words of affirmation. Bring on the words of affirmation. <laughs> But I also know that just someone saying, like, Jesus loves you, that's great. I can hold on to that. But that's not the fullness of my identity. And so, like, blanket confessions like, I'm a daughter of the king. Yes, that's a facet of your identity, but that's not the totality of your identity. I am loved. That's right. You are loved. But that's not the totality of, of your identity in Christ. And you can say that all, all day long, but when the squeezing of life comes, is that blanket confession going to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, so I'm just, I'm just asking you and sharing from a place of my own heart, from my own journey as like a young girl and a teenager, like declaring and confessing those things, that's great. We should be de declaring and confessing. But unless our heart is grabbing a hold of the truth, we're not going to be able to bear the fruit of the spirit that we need to be bearing as Christians, as light bearers, when the rubber meets the road. So, I grew up in works-based religion. I'm just going to tell you, I went to a, a very, an awesome church in Florida. And nobody made me go to church as a young girl. Nobody made me go to youth group. I went because I wanted to go. My friends were there. I liked it. I wanted to be a part of something. It was very surface level. They taught the Bible, and that church ser served a purpose in my life for a reason. And it established a foundation and a love for the Lord that I needed. But it was very workspace. It was very X's and O's. It was very do a devotion every day. Show up to church. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't have sex. All the X's and O's, X's and O's. And I never was able to really have any ministry to my heart that taught me who I was in the Lord. Not that I had to prove myself or earn it or do enough things to become a good Christian. So my identity as a young girl was rooted in doing more to gain God's approval. I can do, I can do, I can do, and God will love me. And that was so far off from the identity rooted and grounded in him and who he said that I was. So for me, I grew up perfect on the outside, wanting to check all the boxes, but I was really a mess on the inside, okay? And so like even today, perfectionist Lindsay is like, I'm like trying to hold her back because my slideshow isn't working. I don't even like the, the aesthetic of my slideshow. Um, I have a lot of things that I'm holding here that I really want that I'm holding in this message that I really want to convey and get out. Um, but I know that the Lord is, is working on me on the inside because I'm in him and he is in me. Okay? So when I started down the path of inner healing in my 20s, I started to really learn who I was in him. I started to really be able to grab a hold of the truths of, of who he said I was. I was really able to let go of what the world said and grab a hold of what he said. And that was when my transformation started. That's when the transformation started. And then from there, I started seeing the fruit of that transformation, the fruit of that connection with the Lord. It didn't look pretty. It wasn't always perfect. It didn't have a beautiful bow on top. In fact, there was multiple times that I was kicking and screaming my way through my walk with Christ, and he was gentle and kind to meet me right where I was at, but helping me to take care of those lies that I had believed for so long and grab a hold of truth so that I could be in him and he could be in me. So when we start talking about identity, like I said, it's not a blanket statement. I'm a daughter of the king. talking about identity we're talking we're not talking about a blanket statement we're not talking about 
and I'm a daughter of the king. In fact, that's very surface level, and that's a good start. But when we start talking about identity and start taking a look inward and asking ourselves where we're really rooted and grounded, there's a lot of people that'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm loved. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to go any deeper. But I can tell you in my almost 40 years of life, I've been to hell and back in some specific situations. And if my identity weren't rooted and grounded in who he was, I wouldn't be all good. Okay? I wouldn't be all good. The stuff that would come out of me, I'd be afraid to look at. So I'm just going to ask you to resist the temptation to say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm loved by him. I'm good. I don't need to go any further. Hard, hard stop. Because that's what, what the enemy is going to want us to do is to to be okay with the surface level, and to not go any deeper. But taking a real look at our identity and where that comes from, it causes us to inspect our own fruit. Okay? It causes us to take an inventory of our entire lives, every compartment, relationships, marriage, uh, careers, finances, church life, all of that. Every single compartment, it causes us to take a look at the fruit in each of those areas. And so I, I want to challenge us today to go a little bit deeper than the surface and go to the deeper places of identity and start repairing those places of identity that have been wounded so that we can really connect with who we are in him instead of what the world says that we are, or instead of um, being, a, being a human responding out of our own woundedness. If you're on this earth, if you've been on this earth long enough, you'll know that the enemy is a roaring lion who walks around looking to see who he can devour, who can, he can steal from, kill, destroy, and he does that with lies, and it starts at the moment we take our first breath. He is relentlessly pursuing the children of God to lie to us and divide us out and to cut us off from the true vine. And he does that with lies, and it starts at the beginning. So when I was six years old, my mom left. I've had lots of ministry related to this incident, and I have a lot of freedom. But I'll never forget sitting at the kitchen table eating, eating dinner with my dad and she was packing all of her stuff in black trash bags and leaving to go start a new life with a 70-year-old man. I was a six-year-old girl and right then and there, the enemy planted the seed. You're abandoned. You're not enough. You're not enough for her to stay. And guess what? Those lies that accusation of the enemy still follows me today. And every time I come against it, I have the choice. I can take the bait and agree with it and let that become who I am. And then I'm going to project onto the world that hurt, that woundedness, or I can receive the truth, ask the Lord to meet me where I'm at, and walk in victory. Knowing the truth, because the truth sets us free. And then I can show up in my relationships, and I can show up in my career, and I can show up at church out of a place of healthiness and restoredness, holding on to the truth of who he was, because he says he never leaves us. He never forsakes the children of God. She might have left, but I was there. So I'm just saying all this. This is my intro. It's taking way longer. Does that work? All right. To talk about identity. So I'm breaking identity down into three, three different categories that flow into us and flow out of us. And identity, the total package of identity, not just the blanket statements of I'm a daughter of the king, but the total package of identity is coming from knowing him, being in connection with him, and having evidence, fruit, to show that our identity is in him. And so as we're pursuing identity, as we're going into the Easter season, as, as we continue to pursue who we are in the Lord, there are three things that I want us to continually pursue and think about. Because 
For me, this was a, a long journey. This is a journey. I'm still on the journey. I'll probably be in the journey until I take my last breath, perfecting and pursuing my identity in Christ. But there are three things that when we're really digging deep, we're going beyond the surface that I want you to think about. Number one, identity is a journey to go inward, to look inward. And I want to encourage you that you can take all the time you need to grow. God's not in a hurry, okay? He's not in a hurry, so we can go inward. The Holy Spirit might uproot some things. The Holy Spirit might show some things. The Holy Spirit um, might make you feel exposed at times. Some light bulbs might go on, but it's okay to slow down and go inward and take a real good look at what's on the inside. He is gracious. He is kind. He is good. He is patient with us. The Lord loves this process. He loves that we're pursuing him. He wants wholeness and health for us. So anything that he reveals, he simultaneously offers grace for in the transformation. Okay? So take your time to learn and grow. But I ask you, don't shut it down. Go inward. And if it's painful and there's a flashlight on something, don't shut it down. Number two, and this is what I'm guilty of so many times. Number two, don't get caught thinking about anyone else in your own identity journey, right? So this is your journey. You might hear something and be like, oh, man, my mom really needed to hear that today. Okay? You don't know what your mom needs on the inside. The Lord does. The Holy Spirit does. But don't get caught saying, man, I need to send this sermon to Shirley. She needs to hear that word. No. This is for you. This is an individual journey. We don't know what's best for everyone else. But what we can do is let the word of God show us what we need in our own world. Okay? So this is for you. And I'm so guilty of that. I'll hear a good word and I'll be like, man, my husband needs to hear that now. <laughs> That's okay. The Holy Spirit will lead him into all righteousness. The Holy Spirit will lead him into protection into repentance. I'm not his Holy Spirit. I'm going to let him do that, that stuff. And the last thing I want to encourage you, and as we pursue identity, is letting God be God. Okay, sometimes there are only things that God can do. To establish our identity firmly in him alone, while the world is telling us to work a little harder, hustle a little faster, grind, 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 do more, be more, put yourself on a platform, do this, do that. You know, that's worldly identity. And I'm just going to encourage you to let God be God and establish himself in your life and let the word of God establish the truth that we need to know and give us that supernatural touch because if we don't get that supernatural touch from the Lord and we do things on our own in our own external, we enter into works. And we're not people of works. We're people of grace. Okay? So don't let this become something that you have to do, something that you have to achieve, something that you have to prove. Let God be God. Let truth be established in your heart. Respond to what he's doing. And let's be people of grace in this process, giving each other grace and letting the Lord take us to a level that we cannot achieve on our own. Okay, identity. I'm going to be coming to you from John 15, 1 through 8. I'm going to skip through that one. I'm going to come here. All right, John, the knowing part. <clears throat> like I said, I'm breaking identity down into three areas, one of them being knowing. Knowing him, know he, knowing who he is, and knowing who we are in him. So no, identity comes from the Latin Idem, meaning the same, having sameness, oneness, state of being the same. Now, I don't want you to be confused with saying, oh, I'm the same as God, I am God. That's, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we don't have to strive to be like God. We are image bearers of God. We're made in the image of God. 
We are brilliantly thinking humans made by a brilliantly thinking God. He is love, so we are love. He is peace, so we are peace. He is merciful and gracious, so we are merciful and gracious. So in the Latin meaning oneness, sameness, likeness, we don't have to do anything to earn that. It is already established in us because we are cre created in the image of him. Each of us are image bearers of God. The thing is, is we find ourselves by finding him and letting that become established and that become true. So knowing him, Jesus is the vine and his followers are the branches. I'm just going to read this one through three. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You have already, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So there are some truths here that we have to know, because that's part of identity, knowing that we have to know and establish that since the fall of man, since Adam and Eve took the bait and believed the lie of the enemy, it separated us from God, and we are now imperfect humans. Recovering perfectionist, that's a hard pill for me to swallow. Because I want to do everything right, be everything right, get it all perfect. Don't even love my slideshow aesthetic, like I said. <laughs> but since the fall of man, we are imperfect humans. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is what we cannot be. Even if we're being the most moral, good-hearted, giving, upright humans, we're going to continue to fall short time and time and time again. And we're going to get up and we're going to fall short. And we're going to get up and we're going to fall short. The kind of fruitfulness that we're after, that we are unable to walk in, Jesus now makes that possible. Because he is the vine and we are the branches. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. He is the only perfect person that walked on this earth. And he is the only way that we can, we can produce the fruitfulness that we desire, but we're unable to do it on our own. And Jesus makes that possible. We can only do that connected through the true vine. So here's, here's the ouch part that was for me as I was really digging into this. This is, this is kind of jolting for me. Since Jesus is doing what we can't do for ourselves, we can expect pruning. <sighs> and so you might say, like, why is Jesus pruning a tree that has good fruit? Why is he pruning something that is perfected in him? If I'm connected, if I'm the branches and I'm connected to the true vine, why do I need to be proved? If you're a Christian and you want to be, if, and you want to bear fruit and you want to continue to be fruit, fruitful, expect to be pruned. Some of the most uh, hardest seasons of my life, some of the um, times where I was the most pruned were some of the most life-giving times with the greatest increase that I've ever experienced. Um, God really grew me. It was uncomfortable, but God really grew me in a season of battling cancer. That's pruning. God really grew me as a single mom and a widow. I didn't want it to be that way, but God was pruning so that good fruit and growth could come from it. I'm not sitting here saying, like, sign me up, I want another. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that and sometimes in our most intense seasons of pruning, you're going to see the most growth and the best, most juicy, healthy fruit come from it. So here's a hard conversation. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Hard conversation. The Lord has to deal with me afterwards. He can. 
To be a Christian is to bear fruit. If there's no fruit, there's no genuine belief in the Lord. To be a Christian is to bear fruit. Now, how you define that fruit is a whole other conversation, and it matters. Because if you define the fruit by the external, by your moral compass and how it looks, your, your morality on the outside, if you start to define it by how religious you are and how often you show up, show up to church, how many worship songs you listen to, if you start to define it by how many people um, you are nice to, that's all external and that's works. You're no better than the Pharisees. Okay, Jesus defines fruit very differently. And he's saying that if you don't bear any fruit, you get cut off. And those of us that bear fruit, we get pruned back. Why? So that the Lord can help us be fruitful. So that we can bear more fruit and grow. And I want to encourage you in this. I'm looking around the room and I see people who are probably in very intense seasons of pruning. Very intense seasons of pruning where it's uncomfortable and you're, you feel exposed and you don't know why seemingly good things are being cut back or it's hard and you can't feel like you can get ahead. I want to encourage you and tell you that if you're in an intense season of pruning, relationship struggles, loss, financial burdens, wildernesses, divorce, all of those hard times that the Lord is pruning back and he's scaling back, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've done something wrong. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're being punished and this is a punishment from the Lord. That's not the pruning we're talking about. It doesn't mean that, you haven't, that you've done something or you haven't done enough of something. It doesn't mean that you haven't dialed into your, your Christian barometer to live a happy, clappy Christian life with unicorns and rainbows and no hardships. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist in the Christian faith. So I don't know where this like obscure, like, I'm a Christian, so my life is going to be set in motion where it's going to be unicorns and rainbows and happiness all the time, and I'm never going to face any burdens, and I'm never going to have any loss, and I'm never going to get sick. That's just not true. But you're not being punished if you're in a season of pruning. Pruning leads to more fruit, and more fruit leads to more growth. And if you're anything like me, I'm constantly pursuing a place of, of growing in the Lord, of wanting to be more like him, of knowing him more. Verse 3, I'm going to go back and say, you are already clean because the word of which I have spoken to you. The world tells us that we need to be cleaned up and polished in order to be presentable. How often do we think that we need to clean ourselves up, clean our act up, stop doing this, stop going to the bars, stop talking to that girl, stop, you know, this and that before we can actually come before the Lord in confidence? How often as Christians and humans, even just meeting with people and, and talking with them, do they feel like they have to have it all together before the Lord is going to bless them? That's a lie. The Bible doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up before we can come to, the, come to him. He says, come to me so I can clean you up. Come to me so I can clean you up. So verse 3 says, you are already clean because you believed my word, period. You are clean because you believed my word, period. Identity, you are clean. One of my favorite disciples, and I might rock the boat a little bit here. One of my favorite disciples is Simon Peter, okay? He was this, like, brazen, mouthy, outspoken. The words came out of his mouth before he could even really think about it. I identify with that. He rocked the boat a lot, okay? So Jesus has all of his disciples in the garden, and he's, like, 24 hours from being arrested and persecuted. And he tells all of his disciples, before this night is over, you're all going to, deny me, you're going to forget who, who, what, what we've done, 
you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna go. You're gonna disappear from my life. And they're all like, no, 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 Jesus, we won't do that. And Simon Peter, being the most brazen of them all, says, I would never do that, Lord. I would never do that. Nobody will ever make me question you or, de or deny you. And Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says, actually, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me and cuss me three times. And Peter says, no way, I would die before that happened. And Jesus says, okay, Peter. So then the guards come to the garden, and Peter is all bowed up defending Jesus, that he takes his sword and he cuts off a soldier's ear. And Jesus says, no, Peter, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. He picks up the ear, puts it back on the man's, the man's head, and it's healed. And all of the disciples scatter. They all run. They're terrified. So Peter has said, I will never deny you. I will, I will die before I deny you. Well, in the inner court, Jesus is on trial. People from the town are gathering around. Simon Peter is so scared that he's in disguise and he's hiding in the crowd, right? He's like wanting to see what's happening to Jesus. A servant girl comes up to him. Says, I recognize you. Aren't you one of his disciples? He looks at her and he says, no, I'm not. I don't know that man. She goes about her business. He thinks that he's like skirted past that. She comes back and she says, I've heard your, your accent. You're from Galilee. You're one of his disciples. And he says, no, you've gotten it wrong. She goes away. Then she comes back and she says, no, I know you're one of his disciples. And Simon Peter stands up and literally cusses her in the court where Jesus is on trial and cusses her and denies him for the third time. The rooster crows. Jesus looks at Peter. Peter looks at Jesus. His heart breaks and he runs. And he isn't seen again. That's like betrayal level 100. Like, I don't think you can be betrayed any more than that. But the, the thing about Peter is he knew who he was. And he knew who his God was. He knew who Jesus was. So when Jesus was resurrected, he went, you know, he went through that, the whole thing. And... All the disciples went back to their jobs. You know, good old blue-collar boys go back to their tent-making, their carpentry. Peter goes back onto the fishing boat, and they're fishing. And they see Jesus on the shore. And all the disciples are like, is that Jesus? That's Jesus. And they start to try and turn the boat around. And Simon Peter takes his clothes off, and he jumps into the water, and he swims, and he lands at the feet of Jesus. Because he knows who he is. And he knows that despite his greatest level of betrayal, Simon Peter knew that Jesus could take him back in and forgive him. And his identity was solid. I'm going to need to go faster. All right. So we've covered it. The branches are the same as the vine if we know him. We can tap into our true identity to be like him, and that pruning is a good thing. Pruning is good. All right, four through six. Remain in me, and I in you. Jesus as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and the one who remains in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Whew. That's a lot. This is about connection. This is a place of intimacy with the Lord. We were created to be connected with him. It's a continual action. The thing about the Lord is he doesn't demand connection. He gives us the choice, right? He doesn't demand we love him. He gives us the choice. He doesn't demand that our identity comes from in, through him. He gives us the choice. He doesn't demand that we follow him. He gives us the choice to be connected. So it's intimacy. I think I might have turned it off. I'm going to go to the next slide. 
Um, here in this text, it, it uses the word remain, but we can replace the word remain with the word abide. And abide means to accept and act in accordance with. Abide is a continuous verb, okay? So let's replace abide with, let's replace remain with abide. Abide in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit. So again, to act in accordance with, to be one with. So that neither can, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they're thrown into the fire and they are, they are burned. So abide is a verb. It is something we do. Okay, it is something we do out of connection, out of intimacy with the Lord. It's not something that we have to do. We get to choose to do it because he's not going to make us do anything. It's not out of a place of work because when you're in a place of abiding, it's actually a place of rest. I know that in my most um, times in my life where I have been abiding the most, the times where I've been the most conformed to him, in accordance with Jesus, the times that I have been walking in the power of my true identity, where I've been the most fruitful, is the times that I've been abiding, the times that I've been resting in him, no matter what my circumstances are dictating to me. My life is literally a circus right now. Three young kids, career, businesses, ministry, different things like that, it's literally a circus. I can run myself ragged some days, but then there are times where I have to remember, I can abide in him and rest in him, and that fruit will come because I'm connected to him. There's a place of int intimacy. I no longer have to strive to know him, to be connected to him. It flows out naturally. So the verse here, too, is a place of if anyone does not remain in me, it's a place of unity with the Lord, okay? It's a place of union. We practice union by coming to church and fellowshipping with people. We do baptisms. We have communion. We do conferences. We have small groups. We do life together. We're in unity, okay? So this place of abiding and this place of, of intimacy It's out of a place of not having to strive, but being in union. And in that, in that unity with him, like I think this, I think this, I always, all the time think of this like crazy supernatural like mystery to me is how he is in me and I am in, in him. Like we don't have evidence of Jesus walking on the earth, but we have the Holy Spirit in us who he promised to us. And that's like supernatural craziness. Like the minute you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and you have this like barometer in your head, like, hey, I shouldn't, you shouldn't do that right now. Or, hey, let's walk in this way righteously. Or, hey, get your butt out of bed and come to church. You know, stuff like that. Like the minute you become a Christian and sign your name, to, to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in me? Like, that's a supernatural mystery to me. That's cool. That's connection. And the thing is, is union with Christ, when we practice all of these things, like communion, the baptism, gathering together, proclamation of the gospel, it all goes back to intimacy with Christ. And that we are welcomed to be a part of his life. We are welcomed to be a branch. We are delighted in. So, you know, I just think of like a vine with grapes, okay? Like grapes are plump, they're juicy, they have a whole lot in them, they're tasty, all this and that. But the minute you pluck it off the vine, it starts to dry out and it becomes a raisin, okay? It becomes a raisin. I'm jumping ahead. 
And I can say raisins are okay, but grapes are much better. I, I prefer grapes over raisins. Raisins are dried out, they're wrinkly, sometimes they get a little hard and stale. And I can just say a, once you pluck a grape off of a vine and it becomes a raisin, it can no longer go back to being a grape. Okay? But the, th the, the amazing thing with the Lord is because he is supernatural, his business is to redeem us, his business is to restore the life, our life. If we pluck ourselves away from the vine, he can put us back on there. And he can redeem. He can revive us. He can bring us back to that plumpness, that fullness. And I will just tell you that after the last three years of life, I can just tell you even after this week of life, the resistance and the hardship that my family has dealt with, just the things and the crap the enemy is throwing our way, just marital strife and financial burdens, whatever you want to call it, even after the whole th last three years, the grand scheme of things, I would much rather be a grape than I would be a raisin. Okay? Any day, let me be a grape where my life source is the vine and I'm a branch and he is the true vine. So fruit, and I'm going to make this quick. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So go prove to be my disciples. So you want to be more fruitful? What does that mean? Anyone in here want to be more fruitful? Anyone? Anyone want to be more fruitful? Oh, Ben's like, I got this. Ben's like, I, I'm, I've got plenty of fruit. I got this. What does that mean? Does that mean that life is awesome? We have awesome careers? No relational problems? Our marriages never have any issues? No one ever gets sick? Don't have any financial burdens? Is, is that what being more fruitful means? That everything's all together? Everyone loves us. We're more fruitful. Is that the kind of fruit we can expect as Christians? No. So I'm going to ask you to take a look inside. Inspect your fruit. Self-awareness is the key to breakthrough. Self-awareness is the key to transformation. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when Jesus says that only he can be what we cannot be, that he will prune us and cut us back so that we can grow in those areas, does that mean that we're just going to grow in love? No. Does it mean that we're just going to grow in peace? No. The fruit of the Spirit is a total package. Okay? You can't have love without joy. You can't have joy without peace can't have gentleness without kindness. They grow together simultaneously and symmetrically, all of them, all at one time. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Because I know that I can be mean to my kids one day and love them to my husband when he comes through the door, but guess what? That's not the total package. So it's totality of fruit. The fruit grows all together. If you lack patience, you're probably not being loving. If you lack love, you're probably not full of joy. If you're not walking in kindness, you probably also don't have gentleness. So again, we need to take an inventory of the fruit in each area of our lives. So anyone in this room, when I, when I read Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, stand up and say, nailing it! <laughs> nailing it! No. No. Because as Christians, we grow and we're pruned so more fruit can come. We grow and we're pruned so more fruit can come. We grow and we're pruned so more fruit can come. But it's all of the fruit. It's all of the love, all of the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the self-control, the faithfulness. It's all at one time. And guess what? When the fruit is good, he prunes. So we grow. 
and I will bless you. Yeah, I'll take all the blessings. I don't want to be pruned. I want to stay comfortable in my comfort zone where everything looks good and tidy. No, he's going to prune that back because there's more. We were made for more. We were made for more. We weren't made to compromise. We weren't made to compromise our identities in the Lord. Gosh, that's why our children are faced with all of this weird sexual orientation stuff. I hate having these conversations with my 12-year-old. 12 years old. I'm not willing to compromise in the area of identity. I want him to know who he is in the Lord so that when the world comes to distort that, he knows who he is and he has fruit to show for it. This is important, church, because this is not only us, it's our generation, it's our children. It's our children's children. It's their children. If we don't rise up and go out and show the world our afterburn and our fruit that we have, nothing's going to change. It's going to continue. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind is knowing who he is and knowing who we are in him. So the thing is, is none of us are going to be perfect until he comes back. Until he comes back, we're constantly going to be pruned and growing and pruned and growing. And Jesus says, I'm going to grow you to who you can be in me. I'm the true vine. He is perfect love, so you are perfect love. He is perfect joy, so you are perfect joy. We have this ability within us as Christians. Are you willing to do the work to get there? Gosh, I'm still working on this, but I'm aware. Okay, I have people in my life that inspect my fruit. I have people in my life who have permission to say, hey, Lindsay, like that really wasn't fruitful. You missed it, sis. Let's try again. I have people in my life that I'm going to go to after this message and say, hey, did I, did I miss anything up? What could I have done better? Because I want to be fruitful. I allow people to disciple me. I have accountability. I'm not trying to do it all on my own. We can't. We can't do it all on our own. He's pruning. We're growing. Get accountable to someone. Get in discipleship. Don't let the world and your cell phones and the internet and the YouTube define who you are. Please hear me. The devil wants nothing more than for us to be lukewarm right now in this day and age. He wants nothing more. So I'm working hard on this. I'm introspective. I want to be pruned. I'm even asking for pruning. What? I'm asking for pruning. I want to grow. I want to be fruitful. I want that fruitfulness to be evident in my life when I walk out those doors. But guess what? I don't get it right all the time. I still have flesh. I still miss the mark. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I got a text message from a girlfriend telling me that she was going on a trip with a group of our girlfriends, and the words were, but you're simply not included. Yeah, that's called wounding. I was wounded, and guess what it went back to? The six-year-old girl who was abandoned. Okay, the six-year-old girl whose mom left her. She was wondering if she was good enough. You know, you're simply not included. Well, I wish high and mighty Lindsay could say that, you know, I tuned into the spirit and really reached up into my apple tree to find love, but I will tell you that out of my wounding, I responded, and it probably wasn't the most kind text message back. And I wish I could do it differently, but I was hurt, okay? I said things maybe a little bit like Peter would have when it just comes out of his mouth. I was reactive. It wasn't good evidence of me in that moment. But I know that I'm a branch connected to the vine who knows who the vine is, and I know what he says about me. I'm pursuing him, establishing my identity, deeply rooted and grounded in him. 
So the next time I'm faced with a wound like that, I can respond from the spirit, from the fruit that I know that I have. So I really just want to call to action, and we're going to get ready to get back into worship and really pursue knowing him, being in connection and intimacy with him, and examining our fruit. And I just, we need to deal with some of the things that have been challenging and wounding us. So, like I said, the enemy comes like a roaring lion to devour those, to steal, kill, and destroy. We live in a fallen earth. We live in the we live in the now, but not the not not we live in the now, but not the not yet. Okay? The new heaven and the new earth haven't come yet. So the enemy comes to wound us, and how does he do that? He wounds us with relationships a lot of times. People are the wounders. And the choices here is, are we going to believe the wound and sit in it and identify out of it and project from the wound, build a, build a stronghold around us to protect ourselves, isolate so nobody can hurt us anymore? Or are we going to grab a hold of the truth and say, I am not abandoned. Forgive me, Lord, for believing the lie that I'm abandoned. I renounce the lie that I'm abandoned, and I agree with the truth that you are my father. You will never leave me or forsake me, that you have good plans for me. We have a choice. We always have a choice. So in that moment, moment of wounding, and I believe the Holy Spirit right now is putting his fingers on moments of wounding in our identity that we've been operating out of. There are places from each of us that have been established from the beginning of time when we were born, things that were spoken, things that were done to us, things that should have been done that were never done. Those moments of wounding, Holy Spirit, show us what they are so we can get those areas healed and our identity can be firmly rooted and grounded in your truth, knowing you so that we can be intimate with you, so that we can have good fruit to show for it. So I'm just going to encourage you as we worship. Ask the Lord, what lie am I believing about myself? Then ask the Lord, what is the truth, that, truth of who I am in that moment? And ask the Lord, are there any vows that I made? Like, I'll never trust a mother again. I'll never go to that church again. I'll, I'm, I'll never get married again. Are there any vows that you've made that you need to renounce and let go of and be set free from? Then are there any strongholds that you've been continuing to build, to isolate yourself, to protect yourself, to not let any hurt happen ever again? Because those need to go too. You know, let these songs minister to your heart. And when you feel peace come, you'll know that the Lord is touching those areas. When you feel peace come. And I don't want you to leave here today if the Holy Spirit is doing something. I don't want you to leave here today until you have peace. Until the referee of your heart is telling you it's good. I do want to ask you. In your last moments of being squeezed, you can think back. In your last moments of being squeezed, what came out? Was it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Or was it something different? Because if it was something different, there's a transformation that needs to happen in your heart. And I just want to encourage you that you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for your children and their children and their children's children. Because we're a generational, we're a generation that's going to do things differently. We're not going to conform to the world anymore. We're not. So the last time you were squeezed, if something that came out, that came out of you that was contrary to Galatians 5, it needs to be brought up and dealt with. Ask the Holy Spirit, why did that happen like that? Why did I react like that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? 
Where am I hurt? Where am I wounded? I want to be healed. I want that place in my heart to be healed. When you go to the grocery store and buy produce, it'd be a sticky situation because the cost is so high now. You pick out the best produce. You pick out the best fruit, no spots, no blemishes. You inspect it. You want, the, you want to pay for the best fruit that there is. So you go, you take some time, you spend time picking out your fruit. You get the ripest oranges or avocados or cherries or whatever. But let's say you're picking out an orange because you want to go home and you want to make the best orange juice and you're so excited about it that you tell people you got the best oranges. Maybe even you make a Facebook post. Look at my oranges. This is going to be the best OJ ever. You boast about how awesome the oranges are that you just got. And you go home and you're like anticipating, yes, my oranges are awesome. And you start to squeeze and apple juice comes out. That's weird. That's weird. Why would you squeeze an orange and apple juice come out? Why isn't it weird that when you squeeze a Christian, everything comes out of it but Jesus? Tell me, why is it weird that when you squeeze a Christian, everything comes out of it but Jesus? Let's change that today. Let's change that today. As a Christian, what comes out of you when you're squeezed? If, it, if this whole thing makes you uncomfortable, good. Good, examine it. Examine it. Why does it make you uncomfortable? The Holy Spirit's putting his finger on something. It's making you question who you are, how you behave in relationships and jobs and ministries. Good, examine your fruit. Good, I'm glad you're uncomfortable. It means the Holy Spirit is in you and he wants to bring you to that next level of glory. He wants to prune you back so that growth can come and good fruit can come. So I'm just going to invite you, Tulio, if you could hit the lights. We're going to go back into worship. If there's anything that you take away, slideshow's already gone, that's okay. If there's anything that you take away from this morning, and this is from the youngest child to the oldest person in the room, if there's anything you take away from this morning, it is get to know Jesus well. The more you know him, the more you'll love him. The more you love him, the more you'll want to follow him. The more you follow him, the more you'll be like him. And the more you become like him, the more you become like you. And the more you operate in who you are, the more good fruit that will come out. That's going to change the world. It's going to change the areas around you. It's going to change the atmosphere in your homes. It's going to change the atmosphere in your careers. It's going to change the atmosphere when you walk into a coffee shop. So get to know him well. Connect and spend time in that intimacy with him and inspect your fruit. We're going to go back into worship. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. I would love for you, if you're feeling the stir of the Holy Spirit, to come up front, participate. We're going to see what the Lord does. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to have your way. Holy Spirit, Put your finger on the things that we need to change in our lives that don't line up with who we are. You are the true vine. We are the branches. We want to bear fruit. So prune us, Lord. Prune us. We want to grow. We want to be fruitful with your fruit. So God, have your way this morning. Speak to us. Transformation comes with self-awareness. Make us aware of who we are and where you're bringing us. God, we want an afterburn. We want the afterburn. 
We don't want to leave here changed this morning, so we give it all to you, Jesus. We lay it all down, we give it to you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you want to infuse your goodness into our woundedness, Lord. And you're inviting us to draw closer. You're inviting us to lean in, Lord.